Welcome to The Upward Journey, the podcast ministry of Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina. Hope, joy, peace, love, they sound wonderful, don't they? Things all of us would say we would want. Yet during the holidays, they can feel more distant than any traveling we could ever do. So what's the remedy? How do we experience them? How can we know the Christ of Christmas and let Him make a difference in our lives? The answer might surprise you. It's Advent. And we're not talking about a fun calendar filled with candy. We're talking about a season of expectation fulfilled in the Earth's only true source of hope. So let's explore how that happens together in our current series, Unwrapping Christmas, as we continue the upward journey. Well, good morning. It is so good to see you today, and welcome to the start of Christmas. All right, we've got some Christmas fans out there, people getting really excited about Christmas. Hey, we're so glad to have you here this morning. If you're joining us online today, we are so glad to have you with us as well as we start our Christmas series called Unwrapping Christmas. Um, you know what? There's a lot of excitement that kind of gets going on when we get around Christmas. And one of the exciting things is uh, for a lot of families, one of those traditions is we gather around the Christmas tree or we go to somebody's house and we unwrap presents. And there's always this sense of expectation around unwrapping presents. You know, you're kind of looking at something, find your find the gift with your name on it. Uh, maybe you pick it up and shake it a little bit to see if you can kind of guess what's inside of it. And then maybe you tear into the present to unwrap it, or, or maybe you're one of those people who likes to take your time and kind of, you know, take, uh, you know, an hour to unwrap the gift because you're going to reuse the wrapping paper and make your family uh, ridiculously mad at you for that. Um, but anyways, but you know, there's always this excitement and anticipation around unwrapping presents. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, about, about two years ago, now. Uh, me and my wife, we made the decision, and by that I mean she made the decision, and I went along with it, that, uh, that we were going to give our kids a dog for Christmas. Now, if any of you are considering ever giving your children a dog for, uh, for a present for Christmas, can I, can I just caution you to think long and hard about this, because that's not one of those gifts that goes up on the shelf after New Year's, all right? That, that gift kind of sticks around with you for a while. And so uh, we had this idea of how we wanted to do it. The girl's been begging for years to get one, and we finally decided that we would go ahead and do this. And so uh, the way that we were going to do it is we were going to give it to him a couple of days before because we have to do a little bit of traveling around Christmas and the dog was going to go with us. So about two days before Christmas, uh, we brought the girls into the living room and Dan- Danielle sat down there with them and gave them a little box and said, here, go ahead and open up this present a couple of days early. And so they're all excited and they're tearing into it. And out of the box, they find this stuffed animal toy dog. And it's, and, and it's, it's got this little name tag on it, Jet, and the girls are a little bit confused. They don't really understand what's going on. And we said, hey, you know, um, we've been talking to you about getting a dog. You've been asking for a dog. And we, you know we don't really feel like that you're old enough to help take care of a dog yet. So what we've decided to do is give you this toy dog, and then you can practice taking care of the dog uh, for about a year or so, and we'll see how it goes. And... Uh, they're, they, they think this is the most ridiculous thing ever. I mean, they're confused, they're disappointed, and uh, you know, they just don't quite get it. And so about that time, I open up the back door, and I, I allow this little puppy to come through the back door, and it races through the kitchen and runs into the uh, living room where the girls are seated at. And I don't know the expectation, or I don't know how we, the hope that we had, the reaction that it was going to be, but their reaction surpassed everything we could have ever dreamed or imagined. Because when they saw this dog, man, they shrieked with joy. I mean, 
morning, my youngest Faith, she kind of goes, can we keep him? Can we keep him? Can we keep him? She, she couldn't believe that we had actually gotten her a dog. My oldest, she just burst into tears and she can't do anything but cry. She's so happy. And so they run after the dog and the dog's reaction is, well, that dog tucked its tail and ran back through the living room, back into the kitchen, looking for the back door, trying to get back out because uh, this dog is just overwhelmed by their overwhelming reaction. And uh, man, we had a great Christmas that year. We had a, had a lot of different things that happened, but man, nothing surpassed that moment of unwrapping that present, seeing the girls unwrap this present, and the expectation and the excitement they had uh, in, uh, that kind of you know, continues to this day as they run through the house looking for the dog as well, and he continues to hide uh, from them as well. <laughs> that may or may not be true. But anyways, there's something special about unwrapping presents. And so uh, over the next couple of weeks, we get the chance to unwrap some presents as well, some presents that Jesus gives us and some presents that we really get a chance to celebrate specifically during this time of the year. And today we're going to begin by unwrapping the gift of hope. I'm going to unwrap the gift of hope today. Uh, now, hope is a really uh, powerful thing, but, but we toss around the word hope a lot, right? Like, I, I hope that my team will win the ball game uh, this weekend. Or I hope that we'll be able to make it through the holidays without one of our family members embarrassing us. Or to make it a little more serious, I hope that this upcoming year will be better than the previous year. We toss around hope almost like it's wishful thinking. We hope or we believe something will happen. We use hope like optimism, and we keep our fingers crossed that things will work out the way that we want them to. We have a, a reasonable confidence when we hope in something. But biblical hope is different. It's not, it's not reasonable hope that we hold on to. It's a secure assurance because we place our hope, we get our hope uh, in, a, uh, in a trustworthy God. We get our hope from the one who, who promises us and tells us that things are going to work out for our good. You see, the hope that he gives, it waits and endures. Hope that he gives is what can withstand fire and trial and despair. The hope that he gives is powerful. But we also live in a world where hope seems to be in short supply. Someone once said that we as people, we can live about 40 days without food, about eight days without water, about four minutes without oxygen, but we can only live a few seconds without hope. And yet so many of us today, we find ourselves in short supply of hope, oftentimes because we place our hope in things uh, that were never meant to hold our hope. We place our hope in the wrong places. We place our hope in the wrong people. Or we place our hope in the wrong things. Or we place our hope in success. Or we place our hope in a future promotion or in a company or in money or the government. And we put our hope in all of these different things. And oftentimes what happens is when those things let us down, we can find ourselves feeling hopeless. See, far too many of us today, uh, what we do is we place our hope in things that they were never meant to hold our hope. And we end up, instead of holding on to God and holding on to the hope that he gives, we're holding on to things like fear and anxiety. We've let go of God's truth and we're hanging on to all of the lives of the evil one. And what we need to do is the exact opposite. We're supposed to let go of fear and let go of anxiety, let go of stress, let go of panic, let go of doubt, let go of worry, and hold on to the hope that Christ provides. But see, all that sounds great in theory, but what does that look like in my life? What does that look like in my world? How do I hold on to hope when things feel hopeless? How do I hold on to hope when my marriage is falling apart? How do I hold on to hope when my family is struggling? How do I hold on to hope when I hate my job? How do I hold on to hope when I'm facing a terrible diagnosis? How do I hold on to hope when my world feels hopeless? 
Today, I want us to try to answer that question by, by going back and looking at Scripture and taking a journey back through uh, the Old Testament to a time even before Jesus entered into the world. So let's go back to the Old Testament and to the book of Lamentations. In 598 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar, he had laid siege to Jerusalem, forcing the Jews into exile. In 587 B.C., he destroyed Jerusalem and killed many who were living there. Those that remained alive, he ended up taking them captive and brought them back to Babylon. And then left behind only the poorest of the poor. Lamentations is a book that was written by the prophet Jeremiah. And it's written during this time of exile. The people were as upset and as distraught as you might imagine. They've been ripped from their homeland. They've been ripped from family. They've been ripped from, or ripped from friends. They no longer know what's happening around them. They're no longer familiar with where they're living at. They are in a time of feeling helpless and hopeless. And Jeremiah, the prophet, he's right there with them. He's writing down these words. He's lamenting and he's hurting along with the other people that are there. He's pouring his heart out full of hurt into this text. Chapter 1 of Lamentations, he's pouring out his heart of hurt. Chapter 2, he's doing the same thing. And then midway through chapter 3, something changes. And so what I want us to do is I want us to pick up midway through chapter 3 of the book of Lamentations and let's see what happened and what Jeremiah did to be able to hold on to hope, something that we might be able to do today as well. Let's pick up in uh, verse 19 of chapter 3. and Here's what it says. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Jeremiah, he's acknowledging how bad his circumstances are right now. And he's not sugarcoating it either. He's saying this right here is a horrible situation. We have been uprooted from everything we could have, everything that was familiar to us. We no longer notice and recognize the world that's around us. It's not like it is supposed to be. This is so big, it hurts so much, it's so overwhelming that it dominates my thoughts. Ever been in a situation like that? Maybe you felt hopeless, maybe you felt helpless, but it was dominating your thoughts. It seemed so overwhelming that it was the first thing you thought about when you woke up in the morning and the last thing you thought about when you finally fell asleep at night. You were in a place where you couldn't really eat because it dominated your thoughts. You couldn't enjoy time with family or friends because it was so overwhelming. The situation that you're facing was so dominating, you felt so hopeless and so helpless that it's all that you could think about. Jeremiah, he uses the word gall here. And gall is the bile that is produced by the gallbladder. And it has a very bitter taste to it. So Jeremiah is telling us and he's describing his life and saying, hey, this is so, my life is so bitter right now. Life is very bitter for me. The circumstances have left me with a bitter taste in my mouth. I feel resentful. I feel dissatisfied with the way things are going. And maybe today we're in a place where we feel a little bit like that. Maybe we're facing a little bit of hopelessness and helplessness. And I'm just left feeling bitter because this isn't the way that it's supposed to be going. But then something happens in verse 21. He says this, Yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. Yes, everything that I just said is 100% true, but yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. Everything that we just wrote, yes, that's really happening right now in my life, but I have hope. What is it that he's calling to mind? As dark as everything feels, as grim as everything feels, as hopeless and helpless as he feels, right here in this moment, he's going to bring something to mind, and it's what we're to call to mind as well, so that we might have hope. He begins in verse 22. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Because of God's love, Jeremiah was reminded that he would not be consumed. You see, one thing that Jeremiah did to be able to hold on to hope is that he called to mind God's promises. 
in the midst of what he was facing, in the midst of his circumstances, he paused for a moment and he called to mind God's promises. Jeremiah was holding on to the promise that his present circumstances would not overtake him. You see, in, a, in another book in the Old Testament the, that has the prophet Jeremiah's name on it, we read these verses where God had given Jeremiah a prophet, promise for him and the nation of Israel. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. Here's what it says. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Jeremiah was sitting there and saying, hey, listen, if those words are true, the promise that God gave, uh, gave me for my life and for the nation of Israel, if those words are true, then this right here can't be the end for us because God's already told us and promised us that he's given us plans for hope and a future, which means this right here can't overtake us. This right here can't be the end for us. It's got to mean that there's got to be something bigger and something better that God has in store for us, that this right here, no matter how big, no matter how bad, no matter how powerful, and no matter how scary it may be, this is not the end for us. And what I want you to be reminded of today is that God's given you a promise as well that no matter how big and how scary and how bad the circumstances may feel right now and no matter how helpless and no matter how hopeless you may feel in the moment right now, God has already promised us that this right here won't be the end for us, that what you're facing today won't be the end. And how do we know that? Because of God's promises to you. And you may be sitting there this morning saying, well, what, is really, what really has God promised me? I don't know that God's really promised me a whole lot. Ephesians chapter 3, God gives you a promise that he will strengthen you when you're weak. How about the fact that no matter what you're facing, no matter how helpless you may feel in the moment, that God promises to be your strength. How about in Matthew chapter 11, that God promises to give you rest. That when you feel like you can't go forward, when you feel like you can't take another step, when you feel like you can't make it another day, God promises that he will give you rest. How about in Matthew chapter 28, God promises to always be with you. That no matter where you're at, no matter what you're facing, you'll never face it alone. You'll never be in isolation because God promises that he will always be with you. In Psalm 91, God promises to always protect you. That no matter how big and scary it may be, that God promises that he will step up and he will be your protection. In John chapter 8, God promises to give you freedom. And in Romans chapter 8, God promises that nothing can separate you from him. In John chapter 3, he promises to give you everlasting life. There are so many promises throughout Scripture that God gives to you, that God gives to me, that says no matter what you're going through, no matter how hopeless the situation may be, you need to call to mind his promises for your life. When we hold on to God's promises, we can have hope. But Jeremiah doesn't stop there. He keeps going on in verse 22 and verse 23. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Jeremiah connects God's great love with his compassion as well. The, the Hebrew word that's used here for great love is a little bit like the Greek word that's used for love, agape, in the sense that it's going to move him to action. It moves somebody to action. It's not a love that you can just sit back on and just feel, but that love moves you to action. And what Jeremiah is telling us is that this great love moved him to action in the sense that he would have compassion for the nation of Israel, that he would have compassion on Jeremiah's life. And he had seen that play out so many times. He had seen God have compassion on them in their nation as they, as they came out of slavery, as they were wandering through, uh, wandering through the wilderness, as they were going into the promised land. He had seen God have compassion so many times in his own life. And then he says that they, that God's compassion, that his promises, they're new every morning. Why say that? Why say that they are new every morning? Because there's something about coming out of darkness into the morning sunlight. 
Um, uh, I did, uh, I served as a student pastor for about 15 years. And uh, one of the things that, that our students loved to do in student ministry um, was they wanted to have these things that they called lock-ins. Um, and if you've never uh, heard about a lock-in or never experienced a lock-in before, can I just tell you that they are something that, uh, that did not come from Scripture. All right? These are, this is, uh, they they're not something that is one of God's great gifts to us, all right? Um, uh, what they are, in case, you're, in case you're unaware of what they are, a lock-in is a little bit like what it sounds like. And what happens is, is that you invite, uh, invite the students to come to the church about 9 o'clock at night. And then when they get here, you lock the doors, and so we're locked inside. And then the goal is, is that you stay up all night long, which sounds like, a, the, like the worst idea that anybody could ever have. And so um, before I ever even came on staff at a church, I was home for Christmas break from college in my home church, and, and, and the pastor came to me and said, hey, we don't really have a, a, a youth pastor right now, uh, but we want to have something for the kids during their Christmas break. Would you be willing to plan and lead a, a, a lock-in on New Year's Eve for our students? And, uh, and I'm like, I'm a stupid college student. Yeah, I'll do that, all right? Uh, that sounds like a great idea. And so, man, I, I spent weeks preparing for this one night and got all all the supplies, and I mean, we're ready to go. And so the kids start showing up at 9 o'clock, and all of a sudden there are kids that are start showing up uh, that never had attended church before, which like on one hand is a great idea, and on another hand it's like, I, I, uh, this, I, you know, what's getting ready to happen here? Something bad's getting ready to happen. And guys, let me tell you, it was a brutal night. Um, it was a horrible night. So what happens is, is that I, mean, I had all these activities planned that were going to take us all through the night. By 3 o'clock in the morning, we had done everything that I had planned. All right, And there's still four hours still to go. By 3 o'clock in the morning, we have eaten all the food that I had bought as well. And so what you've got is you've got, a, you've got four more hours to go of students who have nothing to do, and they're all hopped up on sugar and junk food and sodas. And man, it is getting ready to be on. Man, we're going through the church, and we're finding kids in dark rooms that they weren't supposed to be in. That's as far as I'm going with that one right there. I mean, there are kids that are getting sick in different rooms. They're throwing up on the floor. They're breaking stuff. There's holes in the wall. It was a horrible night. And so about 4 o'clock in the morning, I find myself just staring out the window into the darkness of the night, praying that God himself would move the sun to move faster so that the sun would rise and I could get these hoodlums, I mean these nice little precious angels, uh, <laughs> home to their mommies and daddies and we could get past this horrible, horrible night. Some of you know what it's like to be staring into the darkness and hoping and praying that God would cause the sun to rise. Waiting for the darkness to lift and for light to shine in. Some of you know what it's like to be sitting there in those moments of despair and just praying and hoping that that sun would come in and the darkness would lift and we could get past this moment, we could get past this season. Jeremiah knew what that was like because he was in the darkness looking for the sun to rise. And what he's telling us is that hold on during those moments. Hold on during those times because the same promises that are true when the sun is shining are the same promises that are true in the darkest of night. Hold on to hope when it's still dark. Hold on to hope when it's still grim. Hold on to hope. Hold on to God's promises during those moments and those times because those promises are going to be what helps to give us hope in the middle of the night. The psalmist said it this way, Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Morning's coming. 
The same way that we trust that there is darkness that will come tonight, but tomorrow morning that sun will rise. The same way we trust that to happen, we need to trust in God's promises that he will cause the sun to rise in our own lives. Hold on to the promises of God. Don't lose hope. They are new every morning. Jeremiah continues on. He says this in verse 24. It says, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. The Lord is my portion. What does, that, what does that mean? What is that? That's, a, that's a little bit foreign language right there. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. What does it mean to say, the Lord is my portion? Some scholars, they believe that it's likely referring back to the time when the Israelites were wandering around in the desert and God would provide for them their daily portion of heavenly manna. You see, after they had uh, been, been released as slaves and God had granted them freedom and they were on their way to the promised land, they were spending a lot of time walking around. And so they couldn't just stop and pause and grow crops and get their food together or anything like that. And so what God did was, is that every single morning, every single morning, every single morning, <laughs> Okay, all right, we're there. Every single morning, God would provide for them their daily manna, their daily food. And he would, they couldn't, they had to collect it for that day. They couldn't collect it for the next few days or they couldn't collect it for the next few weeks. And if they did, it would go bad, it would rot because God was telling them every single day, hey, I will provide for you what you have need of every single day. I will provide for you. And that's what that portion means. It means that God's gonna be my provider. You see, Jeremiah was calling to mind God's provision. Not only would he call to mind to be able to hold on to hope that God's promises, but he would hold on to the fact that God was his provider. He would hold on to God's provision. Jeremiah had seen God provide before so many different times in his own life, and he knew that if he had seen God provide before in his own life, that God could be trusted to provide again. Pause for just a moment and think about in your own life the different ways that God has provided for you. And if he's provided for you in the past, can we not trust that he will provide for us right now, that he will provide for us in the future? Think about the ways that he's answered and provided answers to prayer. Think about the ways that he's provided ways out when you didn't think that there was a way out. Think about the ways that he's provided for your family. Think about the ways that he's provided for your children or your parents. Think about the way that he's provided you so many times in the past. And if he has provided for you in the past, then we can trust that he will provide for us today. The disconnect comes... Right? The disconnect comes when we remind ourselves that God says that he will provide everything that we have need of, not that he will provide everything that we want. And oftentimes we get a little discouraged when he doesn't provide what we want. But that wasn't what he said. He said, I will provide everything that you have need. I will meet your needs. You will never have to worry about your needs because I will provide for you. God will provide what we need according to his kingdom, and sometimes that just doesn't line up with what we want. But God will still provide what you have need of. Think about all your needs and think about the ways that he is meeting those needs. When we remind ourselves that God is our provider, we can hold on to hope. The first year uh, that Danielle and I were married, uh, we were uh, broker than broke. Anybody ever, everybody, anybody know what I'm talking about when I say broker than broke? All right, you got, you got nothing. Like there's a whole lot more month at the end of your month than the end of your money. You know what I mean? You know, there's, there's more. There's, it's not how, I'm not sure how it's all going to work out, but one way or another, we pay the bills, okay? So anyways, we had been married for, uh, for several months, and it was right there around April. It was right there around Easter um, that we had uh, those unexpected bills that came due, all uh, right? You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about unexpected bills. You got a couple of visits to the do- to the emergency room that you weren't really anticipating uh, or anything like that. And so, man, we we had enough money to be able to pay our normal bills, but there weren't a whole lot of there weren't a whole lot of extra that was going on there. And so, we had received several unexpected bills uh, during the course of that month. And she looked at me, and I looked at her, 
summer and, you know, we're pulling out, you know, we're looking for change in the couch cushions, trying to figure out how we're going to be able to pay these bills. And it's just, it's just not happening. We just don't know what's going to happen. And so we come to the point there and as we're paying our bills that month and it was, okay, we got a choice to make here. We can either pay these bills or we can give. Now, I'm just being honest with you, okay? <laughs> I had a struggle moment. <laughs> it was like, okay, I know that I'm supposed to give, but I also know that I'm supposed to pay these bills. Um, and if I don't pay the bills, then they come after you. You know, you know it's, it's like this struggling. So we chose, Danielle and I, we sat down and we talked. We said, hey, this is really isn't a choice here. We're going to give. And so we chose to give, and we're still sitting there with these bills, not really knowing what to do. It's the month of April. We're celebrating Easter that month. So uh, I, uh, I was working for a church at the time, and so I'm getting ready. I get up early to go, to go to church, get things ready for Easter Sunday that morning. And we lived at that point in time in a house that was right there on the property that the church owned. And so uh, I, got, I got up early, walked out the door, and I, I looked out my front door, and, man, there are all these plastic eggs scattered all throughout my front yard. And, guys, I'm ticked because I think that... Because I think that my students have come and egged my yard. Because um, I'm serving in student ministry at the time, and the kids are all the time playing jokes. They've come and egged my yard. So now i got to take you know, 20 minutes here and go pick up all the eggs in my yard. And I go pick up the first one, and there's something in it. So I feel a little bit better because I'm thinking, okay, at least they gave me some candy in the midst of all these eggs. And I go and I pick up the first egg, and I open it up, and there's a $20 bill inside. So I'm like, wow, okay. Now I'm excited to go pick up the eggs. <laughs> so I go and pick up another egg. $20 bill. Another egg, a $20 bill. Man, I go pick up all these eggs, and in all of them except for two, there's a $20 bill inside. And one of those eggs, there's a $100 bill inside. And in the last egg, there's a note. And the note says this, Greg and Danielle, I will always provide for you. Signed, Jesus. I have no idea who God used to, to help meet that need and provide for us those, the finances that we needed for that. But this is what I do know. The amount of the bill was the amount that was in the eggs. God will provide. And when we remind ourselves that God provides, we can hold on to hope. How has he provided for you? It may not be a story like that, but I guarantee you this, you've got a story as to how God has provided for you. Maybe it was, maybe it was in a way that you hadn't really paid any attention to, but God has provided God has made a way. God has met needs. God has shown up. And he has been provider in the past. And if he has been faithful to be provider in the past, he'll be provider today, he'll be provider tomorrow, next month, and next year. God will provide. And when we recognize that God is our provider, he gives us hope. But Jeremiah doesn't just call to mind God's promises. He doesn't just call to mind God's provision. But he also says that he, Jeremiah, is going to do something. So Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 24, we keep reading, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait. He says, therefore I will wait. You see, the Hebrew word that's used here is the word yakal. Can you say that with me? Yakal. Now guys, I guess to be honest with you, when Andy says to do that, y'all do, y'all say it, okay? Now come on, don't make me feel bad. Say, yakal. Very good. That makes me feel a whole lot better. All right. So the word you call is sometimes translated as the word hope as well. And so this verse is sometimes read in other translations, therefore I will hope. But um, what it does is, is that it actually translates the word you call, it means to wait for. The word hope is used over 200 times. But this particular time right here, he uses the word you call, the Hebrew word you call, and it literally means to wait for. You see, what we could say is to have our hope in Jesus means to wait.
You can't have hope without waiting. Think about it. Think about when you hope for something. It mean, it, you're, you're saying, I'm waiting for something. When you, when you think about, I'm hoping that I receive this gift for Christmas, I'm waiting. When you say, I hope that I get this report back from the doctor, I'm waiting. When I hope that I get that promotion, I'm waiting. You can't have hope without waiting. But we are impatient people. We don't like waiting. Nobody likes to get up in the morning and says, I just can't wait to wait for today. That didn't make any sense. Somebody tells me they're going around waiting. Man, I ain't waiting for nothing, man. I got to be productive. I got to get things done. If I'm sitting around waiting, I feel like I'm, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't like waiting. I don't like waiting in the drive-thru. I don't like waiting at a restaurant. I don't like waiting at the doctor's office, even though they got a waiting room. Like, we don't like waiting for anything. And we certainly don't like waiting on God. We don't like waiting on God to answer the prayer. God, why can't you just do it the way that I want it and do it done right now? I don't like waiting on your answers. I don't like waiting for you to move. I don't like waiting for you to meet the need. I want you to move and I want you to do it right now because I am an impatient person. But it's in the waiting that we learn to rely upon Him. It's in the waiting that we learn what it means to place our hope in Him. It's in the waiting that we see God really beginning to do some different things. So as you're holding on to hope, as you are placing your hope in God, as you, you call and wait and hope with expectation that God is about to do something, I want you to be reminded of this, that the waiting isn't wasted because God is working in the waiting. Every time that we are waiting on God, he is working in the waiting. It's not unproductive time. It's not wasted time. God is moving. God is working in the waiting. So while you're waiting, don't give up. While you're waiting, don't lose hope. While you're waiting, don't dismiss what God is doing because God is working in the waiting. Some of you, you're waiting right now. You're in a season right now of where you're waiting. You're waiting on God to do something. You're waiting on God to do a work in your family. You're waiting on God to do something and restore and heal your marriage. You're waiting on God to do something in your children. You're waiting on God to, to move in your job. You're waiting on God to move with your doctors and your healing and your body. And you're waiting on God. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't lose hope. Because the waiting isn't wasted. Because God is working. Right now. Right here as we sit, right here as we talk, right here as we pray, right here as we worship. God is working in your waiting. Because in the waiting, He is working. But the verse isn't done. What does Jeremiah, what does he say that he's waiting for? What are we hoping for? Listen to what Jeremiah says. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for Him. We just said about how sometimes that word you call is translated differently. It's not just wait, but sometimes it's hope. So other versions of Scripture, they will read, therefore I will hope in Him. He doesn't just provide us hope. He doesn't just give us hope. But Scripture tells us that He is the source of our hope. That's why we get it wrong when we place our hope into other places and to other things because those things are not the source of our hope. It is in Him that we receive our hope. He is our hope. You see, if we are weak, then He is our strength. If we are depressed, then He is our joy. If we are lacking, then He is our supply. If we are hurting, then He is our, is our healer because He is the source of the hope that we receive. Romans chapter 15, the Apostle Paul, he wrote it this way to the church in Rome. He says, I pray that God, the source of hope, 
Hope isn't something that he just offers. He is the beginning of it. He is the source of it. It's where we receive it from. That's why we must place our hope in him because hope isn't just something that he gives. It's who he is. Other things are just cheap invitations. We place our hope into other people. We place our hope into other things. We place our hope in a job or in money or in government or we place our hope into anything else. It's going to leave us disappointed. It's going to leave us feeling hopeless. It's going to leave us feeling helpless because those things are not the origination. Those things are not the source of hope. They are just cheap imitations. We must come back to the one who is the source of our hope. Jeremiah and the nation of Israel, they were simply saying, they were saying this, say, listen, things are bad, circumstances are terrible, but I am going to remember God's promises, I'm going to remember God's provision, and I'm going to wait, but I'm going to wait for him. I'm going to wait for you, God. I'm going to wait for the Messiah. I'm going to wait for the Savior. And then years later, as it's recorded in the Gospels, their hope moved from expectation, and they moved from waiting to the hope that it was fulfilled as the angel announced the birth of the Messiah when he said this in Luke chapter 2. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. You see, when Jesus came into the world, there was no more having to wait. There was no more having to hope for the Messiah, for the Savior of the world. He came into the world to be the rescuer, to be the deliverer, to be the one who would save the world from their sins. Hope was fulfilled. And the one who brought the fulfillment of hope is now our living hope today and desires to fill you with hope. What's your struggle? What's your situation that you're facing? What is it in the situation that feels like it's dark and grim right now? That it's not working out the way that you thought that it was going to? Yes, now we're at a place where we're going to remind ourselves of God's promises. We're going to remind ourselves we're going to call to mind God's provision. Okay, I'm in the waiting thing right now. I'm in that waiting time right now. But I'm reminding myself that Jesus is the source of my hope. So where do you need hope to be filling your life today? Because the one who is the source of hope, the one who is the living hope, desires to be the one who fills your life with hope. Have you placed your hope in the things that have only left you disappointed? Have you felt yourself in a place of where you're feeling hopeless? Perhaps today is the time to turn to the one who offers hope because he is our living hope. As we get ready to close uh, this morning, uh, if, you were, if you were here a couple of weeks back, I got the chance to share a little bit with you as well. We were talking about uh, different times in our life of where we may have felt disappointed by God. And I was telling you about uh, when Daniel and I, when we, uh, when we first started uh, wanting to try to start a family, we talked about, I talked to you about that we went through a miscarriage. And after we went through a miscarriage, we were really struggling to be able to uh, get pregnant after that. And uh, months would go by and we'd get all these negative tests. And man, we're just getting really frustrated and getting really upset. And so I went into the living room uh, one night and had one of those big argument moments with God where uh, you tell God everything that's going on in your mind and it's like God's just sitting there listening and then I felt like God challenged me in my own life and hey Greg um, if I don't give you what you want will you still trust me and I had and I had this moment of where I really had to do this heart check moment this gut check moment it's like uh, am, I, am, I, am I in this because of what God will give me or am I in this because he's my savior and so once I, once I came to that place that night of saying, Lord, you know what? You're right. Regardless of what you do for me, regardless of what's, uh, what, regardless if I ever have children or not, you're still my Lord. You're still Savior. I still serve you. So once that moment kind of finally passed, I felt like the Lord just, hey, I, I, I sat down and just started reading my Bible. And I felt like God directed me to Psalm 113. Here's what Psalm 113 verse 9 says. He gives the childless woman a family, making her a happy mother. Praise the Lord. 
And for us in that moment, those weren't just words on the on the page, man. That was a source of hope for us. And uh, man, I just I, in that moment I said, okay, this isn't just words on the page. I feel like this is God speaking into my life, saying, "Hold on to this." And so we did. We were saying, "Hey, you know what? We're going to hold on to this verse." So next morning, I, I told Danielle about what had happened, and I and I shared that verse with her. And we both agreed, "Hey, this is something that that God's giving to us, and we're going to hold on to this as our as our hope. We're going to hold on to this as God's promise, and we're going to we're going to see God provide. This is going to be a source of hope for us." And then a few weeks later, we find out that uh, Danielle is pregnant once again, and the pregnancy goes beautifully. And now we're getting close to uh, uh, baby coming home time or baby being born time, and now we got to decide on a name. And it was a really quick process because there was one name, there was one word that stuck out to us so much. So what we decided to do is we wanted to give our first daughter a name that would be a reminder to us, a reminder to her and a reminder to everybody that came in contact with her about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So we named her Hope Olivia Dixon. And she is a daily reminder of a season that was dark, but then as we saw the sunshine and the darkness once again, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. If you're walking through darkness, he desires to fill your life with hope. Be reminded today of his promises. Be reminded today that he's provider. You're waiting, it's okay, because the waiting's not wasted. Because he is the source of our hope. Would you pray with me for a moment? Father, we praise you right now. The God that as we come into this time of the year that we are reminded of so many wonderful things. We're reminded of your birth and the fulfillment of hope that you became as you were born into this world. Father, I pray for those right now that feel hopeless, that feel helpless, that are walking through their own dark season. God, I pray just right now that you would remind them of the promises that you've given them. Pray that you would remind them of your provision to not grow weary in their waiting, but to be reminded that you're working. And God, at the end of the day, that we wouldn't place our hope in anything else because you are the source of our hope. Father, would you fill your people with hope right now? May we be overflowing with the hope that only you can give. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing in this moment. For it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. All right, don't forget about December the 24th as well. It's going to be, we're going to have two Christmas Eve services at 3.30 and 5 o'clock. It is going to be a great event for the entire family. So make sure that you are making plans for that. Make that a part of your Christmas Eve tradition. Invite some people to come with you as well. It's going to be a fantastic night. Make sure that you are here for that. If you will, extend your hands to heaven. Let me get a chance to bless you today. Father, in the mighty name of you, in the mighty name of Jesus today, I bless your people with a hope that is not understood, that a hope that we cannot wrap our minds around, but a hope that shines a light in the darkest of situations, that no matter what we may face, we are filled with your hope. And now I commission your people to be vessels of hope that would share that hope, would show that hope, would extend that hope, would give that hope 
to those they come in contact with who need a reminder of where hope truly comes from. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, have a great week. We love you so much. Can't wait to see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this week's Upward Journey. If you would like to find out more about Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina, you can look up our website at ucf.cc or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Upward Christian Fellowship. We invite you to join us next week as we continue the Upward Journey.